0: Now, uh, there are four, four contexts, four constructions, almost four idioms. Okay. Now, I've given them to you in a slightly different order, and I just pirated it right from the cell workbook. Are you guys using the cell workbook? Okay, It's in there, and it's because Mark cell is all about memory devices, about mnemonic devices. And for some reason, this is the one he gives, and so I think it works. The mnemonic device is the word hend. Of course, this is not a word, but I suppose you can remember it. That's why it's called a mnemonic device. HEND. Let's all say that. (coughs) HEND. Very good class. The H-E-N-D stands for, we'll talk about each one, a hortatory subjunctive, subjunctive to express emphatic denial, subjunctive to express a negative command, we haven't had any commands yet in Greek, and a deliberative subjunctive. Now all of these meanings concern themselves with some aspect of what hasn't happened yet or what might happen or what's up in the future. And so we'll just change the order. They're the same as they are in Dr. Veltz's book, um, but uh, they're in different order. So let's take up the first one, the H. And again, this is not an English word necessarily that people use. Uh, To be hortatory means to exhort. So come on, let's do something. Okay, that's what I'm talking about. So, now, note carefully. First person plural, that's how I want you to learn it. That's how it's in Belts' book too. These will always be first person plural form. Always us, always we. Does it have to have what? Does it have to have what? Does a sign? That's the translation, okay? And the meaning that a first person plural subjunctive can communicate is come on, let's do something. It's just, it's that idiom in Greek. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, Hebrews 12, right? Let us hold fast to the confession, Hebrews 4. Hebrews, by the way, is filled with. Portatory subjunctives, that's what this construction is called. It'll be first person plural using a subjunctive, either present or aorist. And so we have two sentences up here. Let's take a look at the verb form, first of all. Here we have lipomen. Let's read this wonderful Greek sentence together. Here we go. Lipomen, toss hamartias hemon. Okay, now we've got to parse the verb. Stem, see it? Lip. eris stem from lepo, right? Long connecting vowel. First plural. Ah, ah, you say. Ah, ah. A subjunctive in the first plural. Ah, could be hortatory. Okay? And now we have the accusative plural of sins, of us. And the translation is, again, it's kind of an idiom. That's why Beltz introduces these four. You see that first-person plural subjunctive, and the clue is, there's no question mark at the end. (laughs) Okay, Rely on the punctuation. And you translate it, let us abandon our sins. Come on, let's abandon our sins. That's the force of this idiom. Okay? Now, the second sentence is the same sentence, but what have I changed? The stem. It's still a subjunctive, but now it's a present subjunctive. right? Present stem, long connecting vowel, first person plural. Now you might translate with a little bit of an extra meaning, because it's the focus on connection stem. So you might translate in the proper context, let us go on abandoning our sins, or what? Let us try to abandon our sins, or? Let us start abandoning our sins. Or something. Like that. But this is Wendell's point that he made earlier, and he was quite right. You see how the subjunctive is not about time. The difference between present subjunctive and eris subjunctive is not about time at all. It's about the type of action and type of focus. Is it just simply on the action, eris stem? Is it on some connection between doer and the action, present stem? Okay? So it's kind of an idiom. First person plural subjunctive, come on, let us do something. This is sometimes cornally called the bunny subjunctive. Let us. Oh. Grimshot? <laughs> Kevin, and then Mike. You mentioned, uh, like, putting a question mark, for instance. How would it be phrased as a question? We'll get that when we get to the D of hand, actually. So just hold on to your grammatical hat. Yeah. Good question. We'll get there. Yep, Mike. Yes, you could use, you could use a passive verb. Let us be abandoned. Mm-hmm. Yes, you could. Active, middle, or passive, right? Yep. It would be a little awkward, but you could do it, right? Let us be encouraged. You know, you could say that in Greek, and you would use a hortatory subjunctive, first person plural. Okay. It's again, it's kind of an idiom. You're not going to look at it and say, Oh, I know how that's going to be translated, but in this kind of a context, so it can be either present or aorist subjunctive, right? But it'll be first person plural. And it's not a question. <laughs> and so you translate, let us come on, let's do something. That's the force of this idiom. It's an independent clause, right? It's a complete statement. Let us abandon our sins. Makes perfect sense. Yep, Rob? So the hortatory is always first person plural? Yes indeed. But it can be either aorist or present subjunctive but it's well, you know what always in Greek means, but yes, indeed, typically, that's right. And again, Hebrews is just full of them. And, and, and by the way, what, you may not know this because it's a kind of a Bible trivia question, but at the very end of the letter to the Hebrews, what, does anybody know what the author calls what he's just written? He says, I've written to you this word of exhortation or encouragement. I mean, that's what he calls his own writing and it has maybe more, I don't know, I've never counted, it, it may have a higher percentage of hortatory subjunctives than any other uh, piece of New Testament literature, right? Somebody got a question over here? No. Okay? So this is the first of the four uses in Chapter 28. It's a hortatory subjunctive. Okay? All right. Good. Let's go to the second one, which I think is just further down on the page. I've got to do my little mouse thing here. Yeah, okay. Yeah, me. Professor Kim says <laughs> really savvy. Or, as my children would say, he's an idiot. <laughs> okay <All right. laughs> We were our, our youngest is 20, and uh, engaged to be married, I might add, which is a remarkable phenomenon. Um, and uh, to a very nice girl, anyway, um, he was in high school, and we were talking about some, something came up, and you know it, it's... Part, one of the good things about becoming and being a theologian is you can inflict all sorts of useless information on your children. I mean, it's really helpful. <laughs> it's really sweet. It's very sweet. So something came up about language or grammar or syntax that we're talking at the supper table. I, I said, hey, I really noticed this is really cool, da-da-da-da-da. Jesse looks at me, he's about 15, and says, you are so an adult. <laughs> <laughs> I think I had the wits to respond, thank you. All right, now here's a different construction. Now, check it out. It's very precise. It's very precise. Eris subjunctive, number two, does not apply to any present subjunctive form. This is really an idiom, okay? The eris subjunctive preceded by the double negative, oo may. It's a formula, I'm telling you. It it never varies, see? Not one negative, but two, and not may, ooh. Always, oo may, followed by an aorist subjunctive form. That's the idiom we're talking about now. It's very programmed, it's a pattern. Okay, it's an idiom, right? This idiom strongly states something that will not happen. Hence the E of emphatic denial. Or sometimes called, I think Belt sometimes called this, the no way Jose construction. It's, you're, you're just stating that something is not going to happen, but again, it's subjunctive because it's still in the future. See, that's why the subjunctive is used. You can use any person or number, any voice, uh, but only the heiress subjunctive, never present. So you will never see this construction with u plus a present subjunctive form. OK? So, for instance, check out the sentence here. We've got the formula. "U, You'll always have both those negatives, okay? And here's the verb, lip beta. Somebody parse lip for me. Go ahead, Mark. Uh, active, second person singular. Not singular, but te. No, you got it right. Your just brain is just farting or something. You got it, yeah. See, you knew that, yeah. Brain flatulence, have you had that? Is that okay to say on tape? We're Lutherans, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, you know, you know it and, you, and your brain tells you one thing and your mouth says something else, right? And you say, Dr. Veltz, I really knew that. And he goes, yeah, right. Because he doesn't care about you the way I do. <laughs> you know, we don't actually have tenure around here anymore, but, but insofar as we have it, I got it. So. It just means if they wanted to fire me, they'd have to give me three years' notice, but they could still fire me. That's what it means, so. yeah, yeah. That's okay, I like being a parish pastor. I go back and be a parish pastor. <laughs> so, ume plus an aorist subjunctive form. Mark correctly parsed it, right, as an aorist subjunctive active, second plural. So now, you're—it's—it's so it's second plural, so you're talking to someone, second plural, right, and you're telling them what isn't gonna happen in the future. And so you translate it as, you will surely not abandon your sins, whatever that means. <laughs> you know, that, Maybe you're talking to the demons or something. Right? You're talking to the evil demons, and you say to them, you will indeed, you will certainly, you will surely not do this. You can use any person or number. You can use active, middle, passive, but only aorist subjunctive forms. That's how you translate that, and it's an idiom. Mark, go ahead. So the will not. requires a surely certainly some type of Yes indeed. You have to stick that in right. Right. You know who likes to talk this way? Jesus. See, in the synoptic gospels, I think he is exclusively the one who uses this construction. So I guess the son of God has a right to be emphatic. Right. But some fairly familiar Bible verses like Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will surely not enter into the reign of heaven. That's ume plus the heiress subjunctive. Yeah. Is there, is there a key or, to the placement of that surely? I oh, in surely the translation? You will not, you will not. Either one would work probably. Yeah. Surely you will not enter. You will surely not enter. Surely will not enter. Who surely, right? Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Surely, surely won't enter, but Marcia will enter. I mean, yeah, right. That's right. That's right. Okay? But again, so this is the E of hen, right? So this is the E. This is emphatic denial. You're not asking a question. You are, in your opinion, and when you're the Son of God, you get to have this opinion, you are saying that it's in the future still. It will not happen. It's emphatic future denial. Something will not happen. Somebody had a question over here. No? Yeah, Eric, go ahead. Does Peter use that at all when he denies Christ? Um, I don't know. Let me, I can think of. Matthew 26. Well, even if all deny you, I will certainly not. That, that might be a good example. Hold on, I'll check it out. You in the Bible content award of the day. I will never be caused to stumble. He does indeed. Then the Peter says to him, even if it is necessary me with you to die, I will certainly not deny you. Ume plus the error subjunctive. Yep, let's hear it for Bible content now. Right. Now the irony, by, by, by the way, there is beautiful irony in all the passion narrative. Okay? The irony is, and all the disciples said likewise. And then you go a little bit later in the chapter, And Jesus is arrested, and then all the disciples forsook him and fled. One of the neat things about the Passion Narratives is you start stripping people away. And in the end, the only one you're left with is Jesus.